This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I realized that I did not print out that scripture today. Uh, and it's in the New Living Translation, so I'll be reading on the screens with you. How about if we all read it together? Let's do that. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm thankful for this bulletproof shield in case anybody takes offense at what I have to say this morning. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of gathering this morning with your people. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what it is you have to say to us. For your honor and glory we pray, amen. In the classic Porgy and Bess opera, one of the songs mentions the Bible story of Jonah, as well as the stories of Moses and David. And as the song goes, what you're liable to read in the Bible, well, it ain't necessarily so. Some have argued that Jonah is an imaginary character, and his story is only an allegory or a parable, not real history. But in 2 Kings, the prophet Jonah is specifically cited for giving a fulfilled prophecy in the reign of Jeroboam II in the 8th century BC. More significantly, Jesus refers to the prophet Jonah as not only so, but necessarily so. Because according to Jesus, Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites as well as a sign to the people of, of the nation of Israel. In our fall message series, we've been following God's story and discovering how our story connects with God's salvation story. 
and learning how we can continue to be a part of this unfolding drama which is driving history. Jonah's story has an important place in God's story. The book of Jonah is four short chapters and can be nicely divided into four scenes. Scene one, God's call to a reluctant prophet. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, as we just read, a great city in the nation of Assyria, to announce judgment because of its extreme wickedness. Nineveh, that prosperous city of the Assyrian Empire, was about 500 miles to the northeast of Israel. The Assyrians were noted for their fearsome brutality and cruelty to the nations they had conquered in the region. They were a feared and hated enemy of the people of Israel. Think ISIS. In fact, at one point, the Islamic State controlled the Iraqi city of Mosul, the very site of ancient Nineveh. So it's not hard to imagine why Jonah wanted nothing to do with them or God's call. A children's cartoon pictures Jonah as a mouse called to preach to a horde of wild cats. So Jonah makes other plans and boards a ship headed for Tarshish, 2,000 miles in the opposite direction, trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. Not long after the ship sets sail, it encounters a terrible storm. Meanwhile, Jonah is sleeping in the hold of the ship. When the captain finds him sleeping, he tells him to get up on deck and join the sailors in their desperation prayer meeting. If the sailors' gods can't help, maybe Jonah's god can. Finally, by casting lots, Jonah's admission and the sailors' interrogation, the discovery is made that Jonah is the culprit, the cause of all the trouble. Do we ever stop and consider how our disobedience might affect not only ourselves, but many others around us. Seeing no alternative and pleading with Jonah's God, the sailors reluctantly throw Jonah overboard, and immediately the seas are calm. The sailors are filled with awe and reverence and worship of Jonah's God. Here's the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah. Am I a God who is only near and not a God who is far away? Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Jonah must have skipped this class in seminary. Jonah, didn't you know? You can run, but you can't hide. When is the last time you tried to run away from the presence of the Lord? the will of God for your life. How did it go? What did you learn? God arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, a private place for a spiritual retreat for three days and three nights. Scene two, underwater now, Jonah's prayer of repentance and deliverance. We don't know the details of what happened while Jonah was in the fish, but we know that it was an occasion for prayer 
and we can assume fasting as well. (laughs) We're not told if Jonah was conscious the whole time or whether this prayer was composed at the end of his stay. It's really Jonah's testimony. Jonah's prayer begins, I cried to the Lord in my deep trouble, and he heard my cry and answered me. Lord, you threw me into the ocean depths, Jonah prays, and then describes his sinking experience as he went down, 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 almost into the jaws of death. At the end of his rope, Jonah remembers to pray. At the end of our rope, that's God's address, according to Dallas Willard. Jonah rejoices that his prayer reaches God's temple. God hears his prayer in a last-minute rescue and deliverance. Jonah acknowledges that only a true and merciful God could save him. He promises to fulfill his vows to the Lord and declares that the Lord alone is the source of his salvation. Have you ever written your testimony? How God delivered you as a demonstration of his power and love? If it weren't for God's gracious deliverances in my own life, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. I encourage you to write your story, a prayer of deliverance, a psalm of praise. Use Jonah's underwater prayer as your template. Just as Jonah's story was a sign, your testimonial prayer, God's story connecting with your story, can be a powerful sign to others of God's saving grace and mercy. At the end of scene two, God orders the fish to vomit Jonah onto the beach. Indigestion, no doubt. (laughs) Scene three, Jonah's obedience and Nineveh's repentance. Jonah is given a second chance. God recommissions Jonah with the same instructions Go and call Nineveh to repentance. This time, Jonah obeys and heads straight for Nineveh. Jonah enters the city a day's walk and proclaims, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be demolished. The text does not explicitly say that Jonah gave the Ninevites his credentials, but it's hard to imagine that at some point, The Ninevites didn't hear about what had just happened to him. Let me warn you people, God means what he says. In Matthew 12, Jesus tells the Pharisees and religious leaders, only an adulterous and evil generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish... For three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jonah's experience was a clear enough sign to the Ninevites that he was indeed a messenger from God. After Jonah preaches, the entire city of Nineveh repents. From the king at the top and by the king's decree, every citizen of the city And even the animals were included in this citywide renunciation of their violence and evil ways. In mourning and desperation, the Ninevites prayed to Jonah's God. 
that he would change his mind and spare them the destruction that he had intended. As a result of Jonah's warning, Nineveh repents. And we see that God does just that. He sees their repentance and how they renounce their evil ways, and he relents from his plans to destroy the city. God once told the prophet Ezekiel, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live? As one preacher said, don't we wish that the book ended right here and Jonah spent the rest of his ministry in follow-up and discipleship? But sadly, that's not what happened. Scene four, Jonah's anger and God's compassion. Scene four opens with Jonah in a fit of rage. He's complaining bitterly to God. I knew it. I knew it. Didn't I say before I left home you would do this? That's why I took off for Tarshish. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God. You are slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonas got his theology right, but his heart was still not in the right place. Jonah's attitude, God, if you'd ask me, I would say, just nuke them. If you're not going to kill them, then go ahead and kill me. God questions his prophet. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah goes out of the city to sulk, waiting, hoping to see if God might yet destroy Nineveh. He makes himself a little lean-to, a place to sit and seethe, and God arranges a leafy vine to grow up and shade him from the hot sun. Jonah is so pleased, and perhaps as one scholar suggested, Jonah regarded the vine as an acknowledgement of his inherent worth. Things are going his way. But the next morning, God arranges for a worm to eat through the stem of the plant so that it withers. Then God sends a scorching wind to blow down on Jonah's head. Again, Jonah exclaims, it's better to die than live like this. God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because of the plant died? Jonah replies, absolutely, angry enough to die. God tells Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant, but you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and died quickly. Nineveh is a great city in complete spiritual darkness. And then the penetrating question that captures the main message of this book Jonah, shouldn't I have concern for the people of this great city of Nineveh? The narrative ends abruptly there with this piercing question for Jonah. There are some powerful lessons in this story. Jonah is more concerned about his own temporary comfort than he is about the eternal destiny of a whole city. 
Had he forgotten what just happened? His firsthand God's great mercy and compassion for him in the midst of his rebellion? Yet Jonah is unwilling to see his, this compassion extended to his Gentile neighbors. Given a second chance, Jonah obeyed and went, but his heart was still full of hostility for the Assyrians. And that hostility blinded him to the missionary purpose and heart of God. God's question was a strong rebuke to Jonah. The story of Jonah was also a rebuke to the nation of Israel of Jonah's day, reflecting that same attitude. A nation God had prepared and positioned to be a light to the surrounding nations. Had Israel forgotten its mission, conceived in God's covenant promise to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the story of Nineveh's repentance was condemnation for God's chosen people in Jesus' day as well. Jesus said, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The story of Jonah raises serious questions for us to consider as well. Are we more concerned about our own personal comfort and security and national interests than communicating God's, God's gospel story across national, ethnic, and cultural barriers to people who have never had a chance to hear? Have we forgotten God's amazing grace and mercy in including us in his salvation story? Honestly, which people group or subculture in our community would you just as soon see disappear from the face of the earth as to be transformed by God's love and mercy? God is asking us the same question. Should I not be concerned for you fill in the blank? God can change our hearts if we are ready and willing to repent. My friend, the late Bob Boardman, was serving as a U.S. Marine in the Pacific Theater during World War II. On the 69th day of the 70-day Battle of Okinawa, he was shot through the throat and his buddy beside him was killed by the very same bullet. Bob returned to the U.S. in the sick bay of a Navy ship with a heart hardened for hatred for the Japanese people. But God changed Bob's heart, and he went back to Japan to serve the Lord. And for over 30 years, he shared the gospel with the only voice he had left it was a very raspy whisper. God's salvation story is the most wonderful news that is for every person in the world. What a privilege for us to be commissioned as messengers of God's abundant mercy and amazing grace. 
Let me give you some two or three suggestions for life response. Practical steps that could further engage you with God's purpose to share his glory and share his story and declare his glory to the ends of the earth. I put these in the ECC bulletin this week so you can find them um, online. First of all, as I've encouraged you, can we get that slide? Write a paper. Write a prayer of thanksgiving or a psalm of praise of how God in his mercy and compassion delivered you. And you can use Jonah's prayer as a template. Or watch this short video, Love the Nations. This was sent to me recently by a missionary kid friend who's been a missionary in China for many years, a very helpful video. And if you're really serious, get a hold of this book and let it light your heart on fire. Radical. Taking back your faith from the American dream. And if you're disappointed, I will refund your money. Let me pray. Gracious and compassionate God, as was already prayed this morning, we live in a divided world. We live in a divided nation and divided community. Lord, give us eyes to see people as you see them. And give us your heart of compassion and send us out into your world as messengers of your amazing grace and mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.